1 Corinthians 13, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. As a church, we've been going through a series on game changers, and we've been looking at game changers of faith um, at the beginning of our series Tim brought a great message of the incredible faith that Elisha had. Then we moved on to look at game changers of hope. And last week, um, Aaron unpacked the life of Joseph and hope that it's a message that runs right through his life story. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on game changers who showed love. And when you look at the definition of a game changer, it's someone or something that through skill, courage or determination affects the result of the game significantly. Now, um, I couldn't stop without having to bring some element of football into this as the theme around the Game Changer logo, which will appear in some point in a moment, um, is a football. So um, I started to think um, back through the, um, back through all the things that have happened in the World Cup, and I have to be really honest, I'm not really that interested in football, let's be fair. I don't really know a lot about football, but I did choose to watch some of the games that happened. So, when I watch football, we see, I'm not, I'm not looking because I don't really understand what's going on. I can sit and watch the game, I can cheer, I can get caught up in the atmosphere. But what I really like to do is watch people. You see, there's something that happens in a game of football that is beyond just the goals that are being scored and the penalties that are being saved. There's things going on behind the scenes all the time. And um, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, England, for the first time ever, won the penalty shootout. Like, it was an amazing, incredible moment. And right up to the very end, they just kept going and they kept going. They didn't give up. And the incredible thing about this, you could say the goalkeeper was like the game changer. He had that moment. But I just want to show you an image of somebody who, for me, was the game changer um, during that time at the end. You see, England just won their first penalty shootout. And they've just reached the quarterfinals. And you know, Gareth Southgate, he chooses, in that moment at the end, when everyone else is celebrating, he goes over to, now I'm going to say his name wrong, I apologise now if I offend any footballers here, Matthias Urib, who, is that right, PJ? Was that all right? If, iffy. Okay, but anyway. He goes over to the Colombian who missed his penalty, which then meant that England had the victory. And he goes over and he puts his arm around him and he just begins to console him. And he could just say, well, that was just a nice little pat on the back. But you see, this is an act of sensitivity. This is an act of compassion and love because he knew what it was like to be in that guy's shoes. He knew after missing his own penalty in 1996 in the Euros that were going to be the qualifiers, he knew what that felt like in that moment, that he, he knew what it felt to stand there and know that his nation's dreams were dashed in that moment. He puts himself in his shoes. But you know what this also shows is that Gareth Southgate didn't let failure and he didn't let disappointment win. He didn't choose to sit in a place of failure and disappointment, but he chose to rise above it and turn, turn it around. You know, his personal despair from all those years ago could have led him into walking away from football, not wanting to ever play again, and just to lay a low profile. But he turned himself around. He pretty much, throughout this competition, has gone from zero, all that people would remember Gareth Southgate for beforehand was probably the missed pen penalty, to a hero. 
He didn't let the moment in 1996 define who he became in 2018. Because that moment back then wasn't the end of his story. And today, as we unpack this theme of love, I want us to unpack a story that just echoes this theme of love and compassion. That echoes a theme of despite circumstances and situation, love wins. Love wins the day. That it's not the end of the story. So I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ruth. And we're going to start off there in chapter 1. And um, as we start looking at Ruth, just to give you a bit of background to where we are in Ruth. If you go to Judges, um, then you'll find Ruth is the next book. So we're at the time in Israelites' history where they are ruled by the Judges. There's no king at this point. And the Israelites are going through a bit of a cycle. They end up worshipping God, then they go and make mistakes, and they come back and repent and say sorry and worship God again. And they, they just go round and round in this cycle. And at this point in time, we find ourselves... In a story where at the very beginning we've got Naomi and she's married to Elimelech and they have two sons, Malon and Kilion. And a drought has come to Bethlehem, it's come to the land of Judah. And as we remember last week when Aaron spoke, often famine and drought came at a time when the Israelites were not following God and they weren't following in his footsteps and his plan. And often famine came at those moments. So the people had to think, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? So... Bethlehem, interestingly, means house of bread. But in the house of bread, there's a famine. So what happens is Naomi and Elimelech and her sons, they go and they set up home in Moab. And both of the boys are there as well. Not shortly after they arrive in Moab, Elimelech dies. So now Naomi is left as a widow. The two sons marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And 10 years later, it's already bad enough. They've had to move from their home. They've arrived in a foreign land. Elimelech's dead. 10 years later, the two sons die as well. It's a pretty hopeless situation. You see, Moab in itself was not the place that God had intended for them. Moab was actually a nation that was brought out of an incestuous relationship between Lot and his eldest daughter. It was a place of idol worship. It was a place of immorality. It was the downfall of Israel. Moabites were banned from even going near the temple or the assembly of Israel. They weren't allowed to go anywhere near those places, which makes this even more remarkable when we get to the end of the story. But you see, Moab was never the place that was intended for Naomi and her family. It wasn't the land of their inheritance. And because of the famine, they'd ended up walking off course and taking a different direction. They'd ended up in a place that they were never meant to stay. You know, there are times in each of our lives when we can wander and end up off course. Now, because of things going on, we can just end up getting onto a road that was never where we were meant to stay. Moab, for Naomi and her family, was not God's best for them. Moab also became a place of pain and of discouragement and of grief for Naomi and her family. It was bad enough that they'd had to move there in the first place, but then Elimelech dies. The breadwinner, the father of the house, gone. And then the two sons, ten years later, they also die. There are no men in the family. And at that time, that meant you were now widows, 
you're women on your own, you're living in a country where you're a foreigner, and literally you've got nothing. There's no future, there's no hope. Moab can also represent a place of pain. It can represent a place of heartbreak, a place of grief. But you know, it's not the end of the story. And right at the beginning of this this morning, I just want to say, if your Moab, if your place that you sit in right now is a place where you know you've wandered away, maybe things have happened in your life, maybe it's relationships or distraction or something's gone off and it's led you, led you off course and you found your place in Moab, I really believe that God's saying this morning, it's time to come home. You see, Naomi realizes that the only place that she's going to get any hope, the only place where there might be just a glimmer of hope, there might be someone that can come and to help her, is to go back to Bethlehem. And word goes around that the crops are starting to grow again in Bethlehem, that God is showing favor again on that place. So she's coming, come on girls, come on Ruth and Orpah, we're going to go back to Bethlehem. Maybe for you this morning, Moab isn't a place where you've wandered off to, but Moab is a place of pain that you sit in. Maybe there's things going on in your life right now, and you just, you just feel so much pain. You're feeling disappointment. You're in a place of grief. That's not the place that you're meant to stay, because God has got something so much better for you. And in, in this passage, as we're just reading it, I just came back to that verse in Philippians 3, verse 13. Now, dear brothers, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You see, we carry our pain and we carry these things in our lives, but God's saying they're part of your journey, but they're not your stopping place. They're not the place where you're meant to rest. It's time to get up and it's time to start moving again. So Naomi starts on the journey and she starts on the journey with Ruth and with Oprah. She tells them at one point, Look, just go back to your families. Go back to your parents. You're going to find more hope if you just go back to Moab. You'll get married again. You'll have children. And they're both at that point. No, no, Naomi. We're with you on this. We're here. We're coming with you. And then Naomi turns around again a second time and she says, Girls, really, I've got nothing I can give you. I can't even produce more sons for you to marry. If you come with me, I don't know what life is going to be like for you. And it's like that second chance, that second opportunity to go. Oprah's like, actually, maybe I'm just going to go and head back. Maybe, Ruth's, uh, maybe Naomi's right. I'll just go. If you just put yourself in Naomi's shoes for a moment, maybe you've ever felt like this. But, you know, when you're wounded, when you're going through pain, when you're going through those moments, the easiest thing to do is to push love away. The easiest thing to do sometimes is actually to speak faith and hope into others when you've actually for yourself, you just can't do it. But I just want to say, if you're in Naomi's seat today, and you're saying, it's fine, I'll encourage you, but I just can't take that for myself. Or maybe you're in a place where you're just struggling to receive love from others. I just want to say to you this morning, push past your flaws, but push past your mistakes, push past the pain and the things that have happened in your life because you are still worthy. God has still got a plan and a purpose for your life. God's grace is sufficient for you and his love just wants to come like a wave over you this morning. And we get this game-changing moment right at the beginning of this story because Oprah's gone, she's gone home. With, Ruth, with Naomi's blessing. But then we have Ruth. And Ruth says these words in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. Ruth replies, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, 
I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow even anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said, nothing more. Ruth had every choice to turn around and go back. But she stands there with Naomi, and out of a heart of love and out of a heart of compassion, she says, no, I am coming with you on this journey. I am not going to leave you on your own. Wherever you go, I will go. I'm going to believe in the God, your God. Wherever you stay, I'll stay. Wherever you live, I will live. Wherever you die, I will die too. A total surrender, a total commitment is something that says I am all in. And I really believe this morning that maybe you're somebody who's been wandering away. Maybe you're someone that's got off course. But God's saying to you this morning, are you all in? Are you all in with your relationship with God this morning? Are you all in and going to say, God, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to take those steps to where you lead me. Wherever you place me, I'm going to follow you. It's a, it's a vow of total commitment. It's a vow that actually, if you've ever got married, you stand there and you make that commitment in your marriage vows. All in. Are we all in this morning? Are we all in completely committed in love and loyalty in our relationships, in our marriages? Are we all in this morning with our relationship to God? Proverbs 3, verse 3 to 6 says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. At this point in the story, you have Ruth and Naomi walking back to Bethlehem. They don't know what is ahead of them. But Ruth has got this complete trust. She's got this complete hope that God is going to work on their behalf. So the two of them continue on their journey. And when they come to Bethlehem, they enter the town and there are like loads of excited people to see, say, see Naomi. They remember her from years gone by. It's Naomi, the women ask. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. For the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi, who had returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman, they arrive in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. It'd be really easy just to skim over this bit and think, yeah, they got a welcome. Naomi was really bitter to the point where she changes her name. But you know what I love is a bit before that, which we don't often talk about in this passage, is that the women, as they enter Bethlehem, they're excited to see Naomi. They recognize her. They're just there welcoming her. And you know, I want to be in a church that is authentic, that when people come back to Jesus or they come here for the first time, there is a welcome that just says, we see you're hurting, we see your pain, but we just want to welcome you with love. I'm thankful this morning that that is the church that we are growing into. That is a church that we are. That when people come broken and hurting into this place, they see something authentic about the love of God that just hits them from the moment they come in. 
Whether Naomi could completely appreciate and understand that in the moment because she was caught up in her bitterness. I don't even know what Ruth was thinking. She's probably thinking, I've just arrived. I'm a complete foreigner. I'm a woman. I'm a widow. And yet there's people still open arms welcoming us. And then we get to the point where they settle down. And we don't know where they settle, but we know they're extremely poor. They are the lowest of the low. So they would have found somewhere. Maybe they stayed with relatives. Maybe they just had to find somewhere that was just a rundown place just to keep them going. And Ruth hears about a custom at the time of gleaning. And it's a custom of following the harvesters so that the remains could be collected by the poor. And it was even in the law, um, in the Old Testament, the Levitical law, that if you were an owner of a field and if you were a harvester, you weren't allowed to um, harvest the corners or the edges. You had to leave those for those that were poor, those that were orphans or had little or no means of supporting themselves. And this would have been the only means of survival for many people at that time that found themselves in really rough situations. And Ruth, in this moment, she chooses to go out into the fields. And you think, well, that was like the only job left for her. She's a woman going out into the fields where there are men that could hurt her. There are men that could abuse her. She's a woman who is from a foreign land. People would have been looking at her. They would have been already having preconceived ideas about what she was going to be like. Here's a woman who hasn't got a husband to provide for her, but she chooses to go out and glean. In the passage, you don't read that Ruth was moaning. You You don't read that Ruth was having a bit of a groan about getting off every day and having to go out in the heat of the day and start to glean the fields. She turned up every day. Faithfully, ready to serve, ready to glean, ready to get down on her knees. And she does to do that because she knew that that was the thing that was going to be her survival. That was going to be her place of provision. Love endures all things. I want to ask a question. Are we groaners or are we gleaners? Are we people who... Actually, there's so much stuff going on that I'm just going to have a bit of a moan and a bit of a groan. I'm just going to stay in this place. And you can see there's, there's an opportunity to go out and glean, but actually, I'm just going to carry on moaning and groaning. What is the one thing you need to stop complaining about right now? What is the one thing that God is teaching you through the test that you're facing? You see, God wants us to be people who are going to be ready to go out and glean the harvest. You see, the harvest at that point for Naomi was going out every day, and it was going out to a place where all she could really pick up at that point were just the bits that were trailing off the end. It was like the leftovers. And she would go every day into the field, and she would take it up, and she would collect it all day long, only stopping for a drink, and then going back to Naomi. And every day, it was like day in, day out. But what does Ruth show? She shows loyalty. She shows commitment. She shows faithfulness. She shows consistency. That whatever it takes, I'm going to continue to serve. Whatever it takes, I'm going to continue to glean. Whatever it takes, I'm going to keep going. And then we get this next game-changing moment when Boaz sees Ruth out on the fields. And this can sometimes be misinterpreted as that moment when across the room, Boaz sees Ruth. Like, as if it was this, like, wow, eye-opening. Look at that stunning girl over there. But, you know, it wasn't because of her stunning good looks. It's because of what Boaz saw. 
in her heart. He'd been told about what she'd done for her mother-in-law, coming to a foreign country. It says in um, Ruth chapter 2, verse 8, Boaz went over and said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other field. Stay right behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I've warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to water that they have drawn from the well. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and your mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. In Boaz's field, Ruth finds companionship. In Boaz's field, she finds protection. And in Boaz's field, she finds refreshment. In a place where Ruth was there, completely empty, completely at the point of just having to survive, her emptiness becomes fullness because of what Boaz sees. Boaz still brings favor upon her because she, he can see her heart. And this morning, I just have to say that for all of us in this place, are we ready to be gleaners? Are we ready to be people who get down on our knees? Because I don't know about you, but you can't glean standing up. You glean at a place when you're on your knees. And I really believe that there are people you've been gleaning for a long time. And you've been faithful in that gleaning. There's 10 days of prayer and fasting that we have. You found yourself in a place where you've just been on your knees before God. And you are just believing for a greater harvest. And I believe that God is going to shine his favor on this place. It's going to be a place of blessing and there's a greater harvest that's yet to come. But we've got to get to our needs and we've got to get to that place. First of all, we say, I'm not going to groan anymore. I'm going to glean. And I really believe this is a message for the church this morning. I really do. It's time to wake up. It's time to see the needs around us. It's time to start getting to a place where we're serious about gleaning. You know, I don't want to be a person where the leftovers are all I'm picking up because I believe that God has got so much more. He's got so much more. And I really believe this morning that there's a challenge that's going out. Are you ready to glean? Because there is a great harvest to come. You know what's amazing? The field of Boaz is still a field that you can go and visit in Israel today. It's surrounded by houses and it's been built up upon, but it's still there. You see, Boaz, he saw Ruth and he showed her favor. Boaz throughout this story is a symbol of Jesus, our Redeemer. At this point in the story, um, Ruth runs home to Naomi and she's like, have you had a good day, Ruth? How's it going out there in the fields? And Ruth like, comes back. She's got this basket full that's overflowing. And she's like, I've been out gleaning. I've been out doing this all day. But look what happened. I met Boaz. Boaz. Naomi's eyes light up. Suddenly, there's this glimmer of hope. You see, Naomi was also in a very empty and bitter place. She felt like God had just turned his fist against her. But in that moment, Ruth goes home. Naomi's eyes light up. Wow, you've been in Boaz's field. Do you know he's one of our relatives that can redeem us? There was a tradition back in Israel and a law that was written that said, if, um, 
if there was a relative, a male relative related to you and you were like in a situation that Naomi and Ruth were in, where the husbands had died, there was no um, way of continuing the line, that it was the next relative on that could become the kinsman redeemer. And in that moment, Naomi suddenly has this glimmer of hope. You know what I see in that, just, in that part of the story there? Is that Ruth had gone from a place of being completely empty to a complete place of fullness. She takes home this basket. And as she takes home that basket, it spills out onto Naomi too. You see, sometimes when you are so empty and then God fills you he wants you to take that back home and some of that is just going to overflow into your homes it's going to overflow into your families and hope is going to arise church I'm excited about this this morning and I'm preaching passionately because I totally believe in my heart that there is a greater harvest to come who's with me this morning I'm sorry my voice is going but I just can't I've just got to let this out Do you know, sorry, going back to the field of Boaz, didn't quite finish that bit. Got a bit excited, slightly diverted, but hey, we're back. Field of Boaz. So you've got the field of Boaz, and it's still there today. It was that place where Ruth, who was a widow, Ruth, who was a woman, and Ruth, who was a foreigner, it's there, that place where she starts to find redemption. It's in that place that she finds the favor of God. It's in that place that her emptiness becomes fullness. It's in that place where Boaz becomes her protection and her salvation. But do you know the amazing thing? A field not far away, in Bethlehem, thousands of years later, angels turn up to shepherds who were the lowest of the low, who were the scallywags of the community, who no one really cared about. And the message was a saviour has been born. The good news comes to the shepherds in their field. And the good news comes to Ruth, again, a person who was completely not really accepted by society. And you've got these two people Two, two types of people where society says they just write them off. Where society says, no, they're, they're, not, they're not any good. What does Jesus say about them? Jesus sees them. He sees their heart. He sees their brokenness. He sees their emptiness. He sees their loss. And he comes with a message of love and a message of salvation. But the thing is, we've got fields all around this community. We've got fields all across this um, town. We've got fields all across the city. We've got fields all across the world that are ready to be reaped. But where are the harvesters? Where are the people that are going to stand up and say, I'm going to go out and I'm going to glean? We're going to whistle stop through the story, um, the next part of the story. You see, Naomi comes up with a plan. She realizes the significance of Boaz. And in chapter three, you can read about it in your own time, but we get the whole um, scene of the threshing floor. The threshing floor is a place of separation, separating the wheat from the chaff. It's a place of refinement and it's a place of surrender. Naomi is instructed by Ruth, who is fully aware of all the traditions and all of the um, Hebrew cultural traditions. And she says to Ruth, um, just before she goes, she says, change your clothes. 
take off the clothes that you're in and go and find your best clothes. And that's just a symbol of it's time to stop mourning. And it's time to put on your joy clothes and start dancing again. I know some people here today and you're still in winter. You see, when Ruth and Naomi left Moab, it was winter. They were going through some stuff in their lives that was just so heavy. It was tough. It was painful. But you can't stay in winter because spring is coming and there's a harvest that's going to be reaped. You can't stay in spring any longer. It's time to put off your clothes of mourning and it's time to replace them with clothes of joy. So Ruth, she follows Naomi's instruction. She uncovers Boaz's feet. She asks Boaz to spread the corner of the cover over him because you are my family redeemer. Basically what she's doing is offering herself in marriage to Boaz. Something that happens when we come to the feet of Jesus in total surrender Asking him for his redemption. Asking him for his forgiveness. Asking him for that reconciliation. What does Boaz say to Naomi? He turns to her and says, wow, what you've done today is even greater than what you've done before. He says, I'm going to go and settle the matter. He was a noble man. He followed order and protocol. He goes to the town gates and he takes a seat there. The thing was, there was a man that was a closer relative to Naomi than he was. So he calls that man over and you see, if you did end up becoming the kingdom and redeemer, what that meant was you inherited the fields, you inherited the land, you inherited everything that the, um, the past um, husband would have had. And here we are, Boaz like, this is the situation, do you want to redeem the land? I said, actually, yeah, I would. Awkward moment. Then Boaz says, well, if you do, you need to marry Ruth the Moabite. And that guy at that time is like, "Mm, that's not going to be great for my reputation. I can't, that's going to mess up all my stuff that I've got going on. And Boaz, at that point, says, okay, I would like to redeem it. That man releases him to become the redeemer. Boaz pays the price in full for the land. And in doing that, he also takes Ruth as his wife. You see, it's exactly the same as what Jesus did for us. He took everything and he paid the price for us. He paid the price for our sin. He paid the price for everything that we've ever done wrong. He is our Redeemer. And if you're here this morning, do you know that your Redeemer lives? Church, do you know that this morning? Our Redeemer lives. What started off as a place of famine and a place of death ended up as a place of harvest and a place of joy. Do you know what's even more amazing about this? Ruth. She was a Moabite. And if you remember what I said about Moab at the very beginning, Moabites were never, ever 
going to be allowed into the assembly of the Lord's people. But you see, what happens in this moment when Boaz takes Ruth as his wife, she's given a new identity. The old and the past and the association and everything to do with Moab was gone and she is made completely new. And what gets even more amazing is that Ruth and Boaz, they have a son called Obed. Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. And she is put right in the direct lineage of Jesus Christ. You see, she was there in a place of famine. She was in a place of death. She was in a place of disappointment. She was in a place of failure. She was in a place where she could have easily given up. But because of love and because of compassion in her heart, she walks this journey. She decided not to stay in winter, but she decided to push through. And she arrived in a place of spring and she arrived in a place of harvest. And in that moment, she receives love. And in that moment, she is redeemed. She is set free from her past. And even more than that, she's put directly into the lineage of Christ. You see, this morning, God wants to take your brokenness. He wants to take the things in your life that are dead. He wants to take the things that have come to cause you pain. He wants to take you in your wandering. And he's saying, come on, it's time to come out of winter. And it's time to get on your feet and start on the journey because spring is here. Church spring is here. I totally believe this with all my heart. Winter's gone. What's happened even in this place is gone. It's finished. Don't sit in that place any longer. But start to stand up and start to walk your journey. And you walk a journey of love as you walk a journey of compassion. There is a plan and a purpose that is far greater beyond anything we can ever ask for or imagine. But don't get stuck in a place of winter. If that's you this morning, I really believe God's waking you up and saying, come on. And there's others of us today and we're gleaning away. We're on our knees before God. We're praying and believing. We're expecting. But God's saying this morning, there is more. There is a greater harvest. Are you going to take this seriously? Is it just going to be the 20 people that are there on Tuesday night that are going to glean the harvest? No, I don't believe that for a second because I believe that God is putting on this house a hunger and a desire to pray and to seek God. And collectively together, we can reap an incredible harvest. But it's a choice to start gleaning. It's a choice to get down on our knees before God and to begin to believe. Just like Ruth, that act of complete trust and surrender, she's on her knees. Ultimately, this story is about God's amazing love for each and every person. But He doesn't want us to hold on to this love and this experience for ourselves. Because there are countless amounts of people out there that need to hear the message of the love of God. Are we going to be co-laborers this morning? 
You know, it's great. We've already prayed about the harvest this morning. We've already prayed about being co-laborers. But it's just something in my spirit saying, come on, how hungry are we? How hungry are we for God to move? I've kind of ended up in a slightly different direction towards the end of this because I really feel that God wants to break something in this place this morning. Can we just bow our, um, bow our heads and just take this moment just to wait on God? I just want to give the opportunity, first of all, if you are here and you don't know Jesus, you don't know Jesus as your Redeemer. And you've heard me talk a message of love, a message that goes beyond the barriers of culture gender, experience, circumstance. Jesus is your redeemer this morning. And he wants to set you free, he wants to forgive you, and he wants to come into relationship with you. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, and you just want to say, yes, I want to receive that love for myself. I want to know Jesus, my Redeemer. Will you just raise your hand in, that, in this place if that's you and you're saying that for the first time? Is there anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Father God, we thank you this morning that you celebrate every time one person comes to know you, one person who comes to accept you as our Lord and Saviour. And Lord, we pray right now that they would just know your complete love, that they would just know that their sins are forgiven and that they have been made right with you today. Father God, we thank you. You have a plan and a purpose that goes beyond their wildest dreams, that as they stand and they walk with you, as they start this journey with you, that you are with them. Church, let's just lift up a shout and thanks God that today somebody has found their Redeemer, that someone has said yes to Jesus. Come on. Church, winter's gone, it's over. Don't sit in that place any longer. Whether that's in your own personal circumstances or whether you've just kind of been on this journey with us and you're just kind of sitting there kind of thinking, well, I'll just carry on the way things are. I'll just carry on having a bit of a groan and a moan over here and like just sit and be comfortable in the place that I'm at. Winter's over and it's time to start the journey because spring is here and there is a greater harvest that God has prepared for us to reap. But he's looking for laborers and he's looking for people that are going to stand and say, yes, count me in. Are you all in this morning? If you are, I just want us to do something. When Ruth was gleaning, it's really hard to glean standing up. You have to really glean from a place of kneeling or bending over. And if you're not physically able to do that, please don't try. But this morning, let's get on our knees. If we're all cry out for God, 
Come on, church, let's just do this together. Greater things are yet to come and greater things are still to be done here. And I just want you to begin as you're on your knees to just begin to cry out for God for those things that you're longing to see happen in your community, in your family. Let's just begin in a place of hunger where you're saying, God, I want to reap the harvest. Now let's not be silent in this. Let's just begin as one voice and as one people. Just begin to speak out. Begin to cry out to God in this place. We are in this together. We are co-laborers. So come on, guys. Let's just begin to pray and seek God. Father God. God wants to take your emptiness this morning. He wants to fill you fresh. He wants to fill you up so your basket is overflowing. So you can go back to your family. You can go back to your community. And out of a place of fullness, it just begins to affect those around you. God is a church. We come together. We're on our knees and we're crying out. Would you fill this place? Oh God, would you fill this place? Would you come and would you break in like never before? God, we don't want to be in winter any longer. We want to step fully into spring. God, we know that you have a harvest prepared for us, but God, would you prepare our hearts? Would you prepare our hearts? Lord God, where there's been pain, where there's been frustration, where there's been failure and disappointment, we leave that all behind and we ask you, God, Would you just come and would you take the emptiness and would you fill it with your love that we will be overflowing with your love, with hope, with faith, 
that would spread out, not just in this place, but across this community, into our families, across this city. Father God, that we would reap a harvest that is so great that we can't even begin to imagine. But oh God, would you just bring us to that place? Would you just bring us to that place of complete surrender? Church, there is more. There is more. Really believe that in my heart. We've just had this 10-day season. You can sit back up if you want. I know it's a kind of a bendy place down there. Um, but I really believe that. We've had this 10 days, and I just, you know, it's not just 10 days. Well, God's begun in this time and in this period that we've given to Him. Just believe He wants to stretch that even further. And don't just stop at 10 days. Keep going. Keep praying, keep interceding, keep an open heart. Because God wants to do anything.